An offender at PAC units. This call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. I'm Emma Johnson. And I'm Mia Beach, and we're your hosts for this program. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. The Earth First Journal has just published an update on the status of the legal cases involving water protectors who were arrested at last year's demonstrations against the Dakota Access Pipeline. According to their supporters, many demonstrators who were arrested on October 22nd of last year are only now beginning to go before the court. Trials for those captured during the mass arrests on October 27th likely won't begin until next month, while those arrested early this year will have to wait until 2018 to go before a jury. Many supporters worry that the water protectors in these cases are facing unfair prosecution and biased juries, and have noticed that all who are facing federal cases have been charged with, quote, civil disorder, unquote, which has been employed in the past to suppress political organization and dissent, including that of the American Indian Movement in the 1970s. The Freshet Collective, which organizes support for the arrestees, asks those who are able to continue showing up in Morton County to show solidarity with those being prosecuted, and for those who cannot be physically present, to consider donating to legal relief funds. On June 15th, prisoners rebelled inside Trenton Correctional Institute in South Carolina, setting multiple fires. Both guards and prisoners were injured after SWAT teams moved in to suppress the uprising. The clash was apparently triggered by an attempt by guards to seize an illegal cell phone. The past few weeks here in Bloomington have seen a rise in tensions between the community and local law enforcement. Much of this conflict is a result of the noticeable increase in policing downtown and in particular People's Park. Although the city claims that the heavy police presence is part of an effort to make downtown quote-unquote safer, many believe it is just another step in the ongoing gentrification of Bloomington. People's Park has a long tradition as a center for political organization and resistance. Located on the site of a former black social center which was firebombed by the Ku Klux Klan in 1968, the park has persisted as a space for community building, across racial and class lines. It also serves as a place of refuge for many folks experiencing homelessness and housing insecurity who have few other options as downtown becomes increasingly inaccessible to those who are not wealthy or white. Recently, law enforcement has begun forcing these people out of the public park and threatening those who stand up for them with arrest for trespassing. Bloomington police are known for disproportionately targeting the homeless community and violently perpetuating the criminalization of poverty. Their aggressive presence in and around the park seems to confirm this reputation. This week takes us to Texas, where we hear from Candace Byrne and Keith Cole. Candace spoke at the Fight Toxic Prisons Conference in Denton, Texas earlier this month. She talks about the intersection between environmental justice and prison abolition and the deadly heat that prisoners experience inside Texas prisons. She then takes a call from Keith Cole, who's incarcerated in Texas and is one of the prisoners suing over the extreme heat inside the prisons there. Let's get started. I'm Candace. I live here in Denton and I've lived here for 10 years and I wanted to talk about Texas a little bit from an activist perspective of the struggles that we've been involved here and sort of connect that to the criminal punishment system for a second. I was involved with a lot of good people in this room in a fight called Tar Sands Blockade where many people 
put their bodies on the line to blockade the southern leg of the Keystone XL pipeline. You know, we've been fighting extractive projects here for many years now. And then also locally, we fought to ban fracking here, and we, we banned fracking here democratically by a vote of 59%. Um, but, but that was overturned by the state legislature, who preempted it. Um, it was lawmakers connected to the American Legislative Exchange Council and other corporate lobbyists who overturned that and took away local control from everybody as a result in terms of regulating oil and gas. And I just wanted to say that people involved in all of those Texas struggles I just mentioned at one point or another have been monitored by a state or federal agency, including the FBI. So people who live here understand how closely they tread to the state's brutal penal system. And they understand the risks that they take and you know they have been jailed for this civil disobedience. So that's why we understand that we have to have an intersectional analysis when we are talking about extractive projects and why we have to talk about the prison industrial complex. And that's also why we fight to abolish prisons and police here in one of the hardest places to do that, especially with the most pro-police climate we have here in Dallas after the July 7th shooting last year. This is, you're in the heart of not only the oil and gas empire, but you're also in one of the most pro-police counties, areas in the Dallas area right now. We're fighting in one of the hardest places in Texas to be fighting. I have been working on this with two editors from Earth Island Journal for over a year, investigating just the subject, toxic prison. We did a FOIA request for the EPA's ECHO database. They call it their ECHO database, and it's their federal database showing environmental violations at federal prisons um, all across the U.S. We got that database and we pulled out some great numbers from it. We also got state level data for California and Texas, um, which we are still sort of mining and analyzing. It's a small glimpse into what the overall national picture of what environmental regulation at toxic prisons actually looks like. It's a very small window. We only have about a thousand or so entries from this database and we know there's closer to about 6,000 prisons um, in the country. There's a couple of reasons for that that the EPA is communicating with us about. They're, they're saying, you know, either it's incomplete data entry or, you know, we're only seeing prisons that actually have these violations in the first place, <coughs> right? So probably the vast majority of these, like many, could be unreported in the first place. So, so again, it's just a small window, a small glimpse. But basically what it shows is that federal agencies brought 1,149 informal actions and 78 formal actions against regulated prisons, jails, and detention centers during the last five years under the Safe Drinking Water Act. When we're talking about the Safe Drinking Water Act, that's more than any other federal environmental law. That is where these violations are happening. Keith Cole, he is a uh, prisoner at the Wallace Pack Unit in Navasota. And he is in a pretty serious class action lawsuit right now that could set a major precedent in the state over Texas's deadly heat conditions in its TDCJ units. Basically, TDCJ has 108 units in the state that are state-run units. 79 of those units do not have air conditioning in their cell blocks. Um, so basically, he is... It's a class action case, and he's going to be giving us legal updates about what's going on in that case. That issue of deadly heat, it's killing people in Texas prisons, and I've been doing a lot of research about that issue. It's definitely a climate issue. It's happening 
In 2011, we had 10 deaths here in Texas in TDCJ units, and that was because there was a brutal heat wave here that summer. Basically, it, it happens when prisoners can't acclimate. Like a lot of it is prisoners coming from county jail units that are air conditioned, and then when they put them from the county jail units into a TDCJ unit that doesn't have air conditioning, a lot of times their bodies can't acclimate. It's like the extremes that get them. On top of that, the Wallace Pack unit had arsenic contamination, which is really well documented. So for 10 years, TDCJ, their solution for the extreme heat issue was to tell them that they should drink more water. They recommended up to two gallons a day of water for them to be drinking because of how hot it was. Like, because of how hot it is, they need to drink extra water. But this water had between two and a half to four and a half times the level of arsenic that the EPA allows. So for more than 10 years, these prisoners were drinking this arsenic tainted water to stay cool from the deadly heat conditions. So it's this compounded toxic prison elements coming together here. It could set a major precedent in the state if they win. It could be like a domino effect where we can start seeing, you know, other lawsuits popping up and it could really force TDCJ's hand in a way to start air conditioning these units. On the AC issue, what's so wild about it is TDCJ's cost-benefit analysis here, basically, because they're making the same decision the way a car company makes to have, like when a car company makes a decision to have a defective product that they know are gonna kill people, like if we don't fix this thing, we know it's gonna result in X number of deaths. It's the same, same cost-benefit analysis that TDCJ is doing with its prisoners by just choosing to neglect retrofitting its buildings for, for AC. They know that X number of people are gonna die and they're just choosing to let that happen. What's crazy about that though, is that they do air condition their areas in their units that where they keep their livestock. So like the livestock gets AC'd and so do the bullet armories, like where they, their internal armories where they keep their guns and bullets, you know, in case of like an uprising, those stay AC'd, but not the prison cell blocks. And it's a climate issue also because we know that we can expect more heat waves, more 2011-like heat waves. It's the heat waves that get the prisoners. I talked to a climate expert, her name's Linda Mearns, and she actually did a climate study right around the, the region of Navasota where this prison is located. She like used weather stations. There was about six weather stations that they analyzed data from. And basically what they came up with is by 2035, there will be an eightfold increase in 2011-like heat waves in that region eightfold increase. So we know more heat waves are coming, which again goes back to that cost benefit analysis thing. Like they're just making a calculation that they know that they're going to have people die. So yeah, I mentioned the 10 deaths in that summer of 2011. There's 22 total hyperthermia deaths that TDCJ has acknowledged as hyperthermia deaths in their prisons. But the thing about that is that they only count an explicit diagnosis of hyperthermia, which in order to get that diagnosis, you have to find the body with an internal temperature of above 105 or 106 degrees, basically. So if you don't get to the body in enough time, you're not gonna have that temperature. So those are just the 22 people that they found with their bodies above that temperature within the right amount of time that they've counted as heat stroke deaths. What they don't count are all of the deaths where heat is a contributing factor. So you have people who are having heart attacks in the summer where heat was a contributing factor, or you have asthmatics who are dying because heat was a contributing factor. They literally do not count any death in which heat wasn't the primary contributing factor. I have records from um, TDCJ, internal records, it's their health services division, and they have kept a database of heat-related illnesses that they are tracking internally of this. June and July of 2011, 
um, and in 2010, they counted more than 110 heat-related illnesses, right? Those, those are illnesses. So they know that this is happening. They're keeping the numbers themselves, and they're still just choosing to make the decision not to air condition their units. Additionally to that, I want to point out one particular case of a man in 2011 who died in a unit here in Dallas, the Hutchins State Jail. In that unit in 2011, it was July 28th of 2011, they found him having convulsions in his top bunk, and they took him to Parkland Hospital, and they recorded his body temperature at 109.4 degrees. This was already after he had gotten to the hospital. They took him all the way to the hospital, and that's where they recorded his body temp at that high of a level. He was a cab driver from Waco. He was in on a hot check conviction and had less than a year on his sentence. So they basically took this man who was in on a hot check conviction and gave him a death sentence and his body was measured at 109 degrees. That's incredible to me. Furthermore, I talked to his daughter. TDCJ tried to even prevent her from getting access to him. He's in the hospital in Parkland. He's brain dead on life support and they have him handcuffed to the bed under guard surveillance 24 hours and they even tried to like deny his daughter getting access to her and she had to make the decision to take him off of life support. It's an issue where literally there could be hundreds, hundreds of people dying of heat in Texas prisons and they're just still continuing to make this sort of cost-benefit analysis where they're choosing to neglect to AC their units. And then on top of that, you know, I know you guys know these units that also have the deadly water issue, the arsenic at Wallace Pack, but not only that, you know, East Him, Malik is telling us that there's lead contamination there at these other units. Um, we know that we're slowly starting to trickle out. An offender at PAC units. This call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. Hello. Hey, Keith. Yes, ma'am. Okay, you can hear me great. All right, everybody's here. Um, but yeah, Keith, can you can you start us off? Can you give us some updates on your legal battle right now and kind of where things are at with your court case? Yes, ma'am. The way things stand right now, we are scheduled for a trial on Juneteenth. There are going to be about 30 offenders that's going to be transported to Harris to, Harris, to Houston, and uh, we're going to all testify in front of the judge. So we got a trial date set for the June 19th. My personal opinion, uh, I think it's going to be difficult for us to uh, actually win everything we're looking for, but I think PDC is going to be forced to do something. Now, whether they have to complete the air conditioning unit, I don't know, but I think the courts are going to force them to do something. Right. Well, PDC does have a respite program, and according to policy, uh, inmates should have uh, unabated access to it uh, uh, upon request. Uh, the problem with that is the vast majority of offenders on this unit are not aware that uh, they can go to these respite areas because most of the things that are posted and, and most of the information they're receiving from officers stating that these offenders have to actually be suffering from some type of heat-related injury before they can ask to go to a respite area. And that's, that's the consensus of most offenders on this unit. They understand that they have to be injured before they can uh, actually go to a respite area. The courts are under the impression that the respite area is a, uh, a preventive tool to prevent offenders from getting uh, injured, you know, from the heat. But TDC is conveying a different uh, thing to the offender. TDC claims that uh, they have enough square footage to house all 1,500 offenders on this unit in respite at one time. 
there's a catch word in there that they, they use. It's called the space has to be unencumbered. The problem is the vast majority of the spaces that they're claiming can be used for respite will never be able to become unencumbered because they've got file cabinets, desks, computers, and all kind of security equipment in them. And uh, we just don't see how they would remove all of those uh, uh, objects in order to accommodate offenders as far as the heat goes. And uh, the other problem they have with it is all offenders, a majority of defendants on this unit are required to perform some type of work or some type of job. We've got cooks, bakers, we've got meat cutters, we've got laundry workers. And if a, a large amount of offenders at one time were to uh, ask to go to rest us, it would basically shut down the entire operation of this unit. You also said that they find ways to intimidate prisoners out of, of even asking for respite, and you mentioned an, an internal heat check. Can you just tell people explicitly what that means? My personal experience is, let's say I, I, I go to respite. Now, because I'm one of the named plaintiffs on this lawsuit, and I guess I consider myself as being what you call a high-profile offender, the officers don't give me a difficult time going to respite. However, when I get to respite, depending on the officers in charge, I can stay there 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe an hour. Then they will come in and say, Cole, have you cooled off yet? I say, well, I, I have, but I'd still like to stay longer. They say, well, you know, we're concerned about you. If you're not cooled off by now, we feel you need to go to uh, medical. The problem is when you get down to medical, the first thing the nurses say is that they have to give us what you call a nursing assessment for the heat. And the first thing as far as the protocol goes, as far as they, they're, they're stating is, that they must do what you call a core temperature on us. And that's why they take a thermometer and they insert it direct and they get your core temperature. The problem is 99% of the nurses on our unit are female, and the vast majority of offenders on this unit would refuse that. I'm quite sure everybody's familiar with the Texas heat. Let's just say that you have a car that's been sitting out in a parking lot in the, in the direct sunlight all day. When you open up that car door and you sit in that car, and you roll down your windows, you still feel the extreme heat in that car. Now, if you were to crank your car and don't turn your aperture on, just turn on your vent. And that's the type of feeling that I feel virtually every day when I'm in the heat on this unit. It's just like being in a car with no air conditioning, just sitting there with the vents blowing. And the vents are blowing nothing but what? Hot air. I've been diagnosed with uh, severe coronary artery disease, and I also uh, am a diabetic, and I also have suffer from hypertension. Uh, you're correct. A lot of the medications that I take, uh, CDC is well aware that they make me uh, extremely susceptible to the, 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 the heat. In addition, because of my heart condition, during the summertime, for some unexplained reason, I'm not a doctor, I really don't know why, but my heart seems to beat at a faster, harder rate as if I've been running or exerting myself and, and I could just be sitting down and laying in my bed. And, and uh, they say it could be attributed to the heat and, and this, when my heart increases speed-wise, it, 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 it intensifies and it also exacerbates my chest pain. And all of this, they say, is it can be attributed to the heat because during the hottest part of the, the day, my, uh, my body has a hard time regulating the heat and my heart has to work a whole lot harder to, uh, you know, to try to cool me down. And also, because of the medical conditions I have, I also, I don't perspire. And because I don't perspire, just uh, 90 degrees is, 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 is detrimental to me. You know, it's just, it's just the heat. Heat is real detrimental because of my uh, medical condition. 
I know you guys have clean water now um, since the injunction sort of forced TDCJ to finally truck in clean water and then they most recently installed a new filtration system. But I just, for folks to get an idea, can you talk about how long you were exposed to that arsenic water and, and your concerns are about how it could affect your health? Well, TDC was, has been aware, had been aware for uh, several years, probably about 10 years before I got to the shooter, and I got to the shooter in 2011. They were aware prior to me getting here that they had uh, high levels of arsenic in their water, which uh, the EPA stated was about four times higher than what's recommended. Uh, according to these levels, there haven't really been any definitive studies to determine exactly what the detrimental effects would be from exposure from that level of arsenic for a certain amount of time, but they claim that it could cause cancer, uh, it could uh, interrupt your, your circulatory system, cause all type of rashes and boils and, and, and molds. We were, we've been exposed to it for several years, and, and, and TDC uh, never really did anything to uh, correct the problem until we uh, filed a lawsuit. Right. And, and, and of course, forced them to do something. More than one person told me about the skin rashes. Um, is that something you've seen with a lot of prisoners at the unit, skin problems based on that arsenic? Well, yes, ma'am. The only problem is we weren't able to determine any of the detrimental effects of the arsenic. We just don't know what type of uh, health-related problems we have or might eventually get because of our exposure. We just don't know. I've been incarcerated for over 23 years at TDC. So I've seen TDC at its worst, and the fact of the matter is, whether we win this lawsuit or not, just the fact that it's now out there and 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 TDC been exposed, and these courts have ruled that extreme heat can be detrimental to our health. I think that already it's complete it's benefited offenders because I truly feel now that prison officials will never let another inmate just sit there in a cell and die. See, that was the time in TDC, where if you went and told officers you were hot, they would they say, well, I don't care. There's nothing I'm going to do about it. Burn up. And they, they, they didn't care. They didn't do anything to prevent heat injuries. But I think because of this lawsuit, I'm almost positive that it will probably eliminate all heat-related deaths in TDC. Now, it might not eliminate all heat-related injuries, but I really believe it will eliminate the vast majority of heat-related deaths in TDC. Whether we win it or not, I think just the exposure of this lawsuit has changed TDC's attitude towards the heat, which is going to make them be more, uh, you know, uh, aware about, you know, offenders who claim to be hot. So I'm looking at the guy right now. He's got a T-shirt off. He's laying. He has his boxers on. He has a fan. He's a little fan blowing over him, and he's laying on his floor trying to sleep right now. That's not even that hot today, but uh, this is one of the things that we try to do to, to cool down. We are, well, sometimes we'll wet our sheets, we'll wet our clothes, and we'll get in front of these fans, and we, we try to, uh, you know, cool our bodies down. You know, me personally, there have been times where I could sit up for hours just in front of my fan, constantly going and wetting the water, a wet towel and putting it over my head and my face so I could breathe cool air because one of my most difficult problems in extreme heat is I have a real hard time breathing and at times it gives me the sensation that I'm suffocating and I have to admit that now that they've supplied us with rest that those type of problems I no longer have anymore but I'm still 
during the day are still exposed to extreme heat conditions, whether they have unabated access to respite or not. To give you an example is I have to sleep in the extreme heat. Uh, and there's absolutely not, no way I can have respite uh, be in an air conditioned area and sleep. And being in a, uh, a dormitory like I'm in, uh, not only does the heat prevent me from sleeping at night, one of the preventive measures that they put in, with these, they have these real big industrial barrel fans. So these fans are driven by high-intensity electric motors, and they're extremely loud. So not only do I have to deal with the heat at night, I also have to deal with these extremely loud fans, you know, and I try, try to sleep every night. In addition, a couple of years ago, they installed new window screens throughout this entire unit. However, the size of the holes in the window screen does not prevent mosquitoes and other bugs from flying right through the window screen. So during the summertime, during the heat, not only do I deal with the heat, I have to deal with these loud fans. I also have to deal with uh, insects and bugs flying all over midnight. Thus, you know, rarely do I get more than three or four hours of sleep a day. It's a miracle if I get five hours. It's a miracle. And over a course of time, uh, sleep deprivation is a serious problem. I know that the summers now are more intense to me than they were, let's say, 10 years ago. I don't know whether I can attribute that to the fact that the temperatures are worse, or maybe the fact that I'm getting older and my diseases are progressing. The first thing they did was they shipped me to another unit. That's one of the first things TDC's Army does to guys that they consider writ writers or uh, troublemakers or offenders who try to really stand up for their rights in a particular unit. The first thing they would do is try to ship, well they did, they shipped me to another unit. Now I'm on a minimum security unit here and I'm in a dormitory setting. You know, in the event that I have any type of uh, cardiac event, I've got 55 offenders right around me that could summon help for me immediately. Well, right after this lawsuit was filed, they shipped me to the McConnell unit in Beeville, Texas, which is a maximum security penitentiary and they put me in what you call a sale part. Now I'm in a cell block now, in an individual cell, and if I were to have any type of cardiac event or any type of diabetes problem while in that cell, I could actually sit in that cell for hours before any type of help could be brought to me. Now TDC knew my medical condition when they sent me to this unit, and they knew that that was not a really good place to send a person my age and a person that has diabetes and a person that has severe heart disease. Because, and they also knew that the unit they sent me on was chronically short of a staff. Now what they're doing now is they have some new policies that they're using. One of them is that they're starting to show this heat-related film on, our, on all the TVs in the unit, and they're doing it during prime time, like it uh, came on the day at 12 o'clock and stayed on for about two hours. It's just a 10-minute film, but they continue to repeat the show over and over and over again for approximately two hours. This will come back on tonight at 8 o'clock. And it's gonna, I don't know how long it's going to stay on. And then again, it comes on on Wednesday night, Wednesday at 12 o'clock, and again on Wednesday night at 12 o'clock. So they're showing this, this film over and over and over and over and over again, and they're doing it until October uh, this year. And officers are making comments like, well, you know the only reason why we're doing it is because of the lawsuit. And uh, obviously some offenders have already told me, well, Cole, you know, this is your fault that we're going through all this. So they, they blame me for the the good and also the bad. In addition, uh, this unit has given us this little uh, piece of paper, this little flyer. And what it does, it explains all the symptoms and side effects from extreme heat conditions, uh, extreme cold conditions, and how to prevent suicide. It's just a, 
it's like it's a little a piece of paper, you know, giving us information on all these different uh, uh, deals. And now offenders are required to carry this piece of paper 24 hours a day. Right. And if they don't have this paper on their person, they're going to get a disciplinary case for it. And again, the officers are saying, well, you know the only reason why you have to carry this piece of paper is because it's lawsuit. And another thing they did is the loud fans that I was talking about, sometimes offenders will cut them off so they can hear a particular program on TV. But then sometimes, uh, well, a few weeks ago, at night it was still kind of cool. So offenders would cut these fans off. Now, if an offender cuts a fan off, they uh, lock down the entire dormitory that turns the fan off for 24 hours. And that's, in other words, they're punishing all the offenders for having to turn the fan off. And again, they're telling the offenders that the reason why they're doing this is because of the lawsuit. And like I said, because I'm one of the named plaintiffs and I'm considered a high-profile offender in regards to this You have one minute left. Some offenders feel animosity towards me because of that. Just pray for us. You know, I think that a God's on our side, and I really think he's going to do something for us. In reality, uh, as I look at TDC right now today, things are a thousand times better than they were when I walked in this door 23 years ago in regards to them uh, uh, dealing with the uh, extreme heat conditions. So all I ask y'all to do is just get pray for me. An update on Keith's call. Starting last Monday, the six prisoners suing over temperatures at the Wallace Pack Unit began testifying in district court after their suit was granted class action status. Several of the prisoners are elderly, including Jackie Bronham, who said, quote, It feels like being in a hot box in the summer. I get weak. I feel nauseated. I get headaches. It feels like the top of my head is going to blow off. End quote. Testimony in the suit will continue into next week. The caller has hung up. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.